Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Romans 5. Now, here's why I'm starting in Romans 5. You ready? In the original writings of this letter, there were no chapter numbers or verse numbers. So we can start in chapter 6 with verse number 1, but there's something I want you to understand. The reason 6 starts the way it does is because he is hooking up to the thought that he had in chapter 5. So instead of me starting in chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 20. We're going to read just a few verses. Paul says in summary of what he was saying, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came and told me that I was guilty, and by that offense, my guilt abounded to my own demise. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That'll make you want to clear off a spot and go to church. He says that as sin hath reigned unto death. Now, when when sin reigns in your life as a sinner separated from God, the end is a first and a second death. A physical and then eventually in eternity a spiritual death. We've actually talked about that the last couple weeks. Sin hath reigned unto death. Even so... Here's the substitution. Might grace reign through righteousness, not mine, but God's through Christ. And that grace that reigns in my life through his righteousness, look what it yields. Eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he has just closed chapter 5 with pitching the best deal on this side of eternity. There is no better deal. He has, take, he has taken chapters 1 through 5 and deconstructed any faith you may have in keeping God's perfect law. Hence, it's perfect, you're not, therefore you can't keep it. So you need innocent blood shed on your behalf in order for God to forgive you. Now there's no need of a sacrifice system of animals and innocent blood being shed because the capital L lamb has been shed on the cross for our sin. And now we can be forgiven and stand in God's sight accepted and beloved. I mean, this is sounding like a pretty good deal. It'd be really stupid to not take it. In fact, in a few verses, he's going to tell us about how it's a free gift, and it'd be kind of dumb to push away a free gift like this. And we're, we're starting to get kind of excited in reading this and thinking, man, we, we're going to have it made through this thing called grace. But, but it's almost like Paul's not worried about what the audience is thinking, but it's like he's wondering what the audience is thinking. Man, I got this grace. Like, this grace is so good. Like, my sin no longer can judge me, can damn me. My sin can't touch me. So, 
if God's got my sin covered, does it matter if I sin? Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows where the audience is thinking. So he says in verse number one of chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Let's do verses 1 and 2 again real quickly. Verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I want to preach today quickly on this thought. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want to live in sin anymore. See, people were misconstruing how God was giving more and more grace based on more and more sin. I mean, that's what he says. Like, wherever sin was abounding, grace did much more abound. So it doesn't matter how much sin there was. God's got more grace than you have sin. Well, people were doing what you and I are inclined or have the propensity to do, and they were thinking to themselves, then I can just continue to live in the very sin that God found me or just continue in any kind of lifestyle or sin and God's just gonna lavish me with more and more grace. Like they went so far as to think the key to experience more and more of God's grace is to live in more and more sin. That, that's how twisted they ended up taking this. Like, if I just want to experience more and more of his mercy, more and more of his forgiveness, and more and more of the depths and boundaries or limitless boundaries of his grace, I should just keep living in more and more sin. Therefore, I can experience more and more grace. Furthermore, what I have noticed, and I'm sure Paul did too, people start thinking, you know what? Because of grace, I can just keep living my life in this sinful nature and sinful decision making and it's okay it's okay because god's got grace for that i mean doesn't the bible teach that jesus christ according to the book of hebrews was a sacrifice for all sin forever that we have been perfectly and positionally sanctified in the sight of God through Christ, meaning that your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin was all wrapped up in a covering of God's grace. And that is the only reason you're going to be able to stand in front of God on judgment day. Because if it was up to your works or my works or our religious moral compass, we would stand in front of God and there would be no covering for our sin. But because our faith in Jesus, the Bible teaches us that God sees us as he saw Jesus, his son, his righteousness has now been applied to our account. Our guilt was moved to his account. There was a trade that was made. We switched places. There was a divine exchange that happened. And now you and I are covered in God's grace. So here's the question. If I'm covered in God's grace, what's the big deal if I just keep doing whatever I want to do? Like, doesn't it say there's grace for that? That's 
the line of thinking that was happening here in the church. And so Paul goes out and writes this letter, and I call it Paul addressing the subject of greasy grace. Like it was just a slippery slope of, hey, it's all good because God's thought about that. God's taken care of that. God's covered it. And it's not a big deal if you just continue in the same way you were when you became a Christian. Or here we go. It's not a big deal if you just keep living your life like the original you would live your life or the old you would live your life. I think it's obvious that a lot of people think this way, and it's obvious they think this way because of how they live their life. There's some phrases that are in certain denominational circles like, and I know what they're saying when they say this, but they don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved. And that's not a really good way to portray your theological position. I know what you're trying to say when you say that, but what that does to the average hearer, like me, is when you say once saved, always saved, my mind is so twisted and my original thinking is so warped that I'm like, nothing matters then. Like if I can't gain my salvation by being morally perfect, I can't lose my salvation by being morally imperfect, right? I gained it through the, through the work of Christ, not my work. But I'm so carnal that means I, 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 am a, I have a carnivorous creature side. I have an animal instinct, just like you do, that says, well, if I'm saved by God's grace and not my own works, then nothing I do really, really matters or affects the state of my soul. Now, what I love right now about the room is I got some of y'all leaning in out of a whole lot of curiosity because you're wondering if I'm going to tell you you can lose your salvation. Maybe we'll answer that in another sermon. <laughs> Paul, in this writing, listen to me, I'm going to teach you something. He is addressing a lifestyle of habitual sin. He is, he is, he is not, he's not talking about occasional sin. He's not talking about you making mistakes or you fouling up or you screwing up or you falling down. And by the way, we probably, we probably would do ourselves better in our, in, our, in our thinking of holiness if we stopped saying things like messed up, mistake, fell down, screwed up, and we just started being biblical about it and calling it sin. Because a lot of times I can classify myself in a place where I'm hit with less conviction if I take it out of biblical parameters and call it something that doesn't make me feel so bad. But let's just call it for what it is. I, am, I was a sinner who was damned in my sin. Now in Christ, I'm a saint who still sins. I have a fleshly nature that has a propensity to sin. You have a fleshly nature that has a propensity to sin. Paul's not talking about the tendency to sin. He's talking about a lifestyle that continues. That's the word he uses, continues. Someone who continues in sin. That's why he says, shall we just continue in a lifestyle of habitual sin? And to this kind of thinking, Paul says, God 
forbid. It'd be like us saying, no way. Be it far from that. Are you kidding me? It's like us saying, absolutely not. He then poses a question that he's prepared to answer. And he says in verse 2, God forbid, how shall we? If he says we, who's he talking to? He's talking to believers, right? The pronoun usage is very important in the Bible too. He says, we, talking about believers, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul is saying this, ladies and gentlemen, because in his mind, it is inconceivable that a born-again believer could go on living their life in unrepentant, habitual sin like nothing ever happened. In his mind, it was so foreign that someone could become a Christian and then nothing change. And live their life like it doesn't matter. So my question is, are we supposed to just sin away? Just get saved, become a Christian, pray a prayer, raise our hand, do the thing, get baptized maybe, and then just keep going exactly like we were going? Like, is that biblical salvation? Is that what being in Christ looks like? There's a, there's a bumper sticker, and it's got a good sentiment. It's got horrible theology. I've said it. I've heard y'all say it. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. I know what we're saying when we say that, but a couple things about that. One, that's really, really bad theology because that's almost like you giving yourself a permission slip to continue to live in a sinful state while justifying your decision-making by going, it's okay, at least I'm forgiven. And when you say, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, it's almost like you're telling the unsaved world, the only difference between me and you is forgiveness. Let me say this, if the only difference in your life you think is forgiveness and a say, an unsaved person doesn't have forgiveness and that's the only thing that makes you different than them, you don't have a biblical salvation. That's not, it doesn't look anything like what the Bible teaches salvation is. The Bible teaches that with this forgiveness comes a dramatic change. There's supposed to be a dramatic change. And so what Paul is going out on a limb to show us theologically is that when you get saved, there is a change that happens. So he's led by the Holy Spirit to write this and address this need. And he gives us, listen, three things to know. A lot of this is about what you know, because you can't put into practice something you don't know. So all of this is about you having the proper understanding and perspective of what has happened to you. Now that you are saved. And let me say this. There are some of you in this room, you've been saved for a little while now. For some of you, a while now. But you still don't have the proper grip on what actually happened to you. That's why you can't actually live out the full amount of change that's happened or supposed to happen in your life. Three keys to know. Verse number three. Look at it quickly. We're going to look at verse three and verse 11. Paul says, know you not. See, there it is. It's like Paul saying, you're supposed to know this. Don't you know this? That so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Likewise, verse 11, reckon, I knew he was from Banks County, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. So Paul tells us that something happened to you. He tells us that you died. Everybody say the word died. You died, and that means you are dead 
to the old sinful you. When you become a Christian and you're born again, you die and therefore you became dead to the old sinful version of who you used to be. Paul tells us in verse number three that at salvation something happened, a baptism. Now, I know what you're thinking right here when you hear the word baptized or you see the word baptized, you're thinking the same thing that everybody else is thinking. That's right. After I got saved, I registered for baptism and I got in the little tub and the horse trough that they got from Home Depot and then I got baptized. That ain't what he's talking about right here. There's not just one kind of baptism. There's three baptisms that are taught in our New Testament. This baptism, he says, is not into water. He says this baptism is into Jesus Christ. Hold up. Let me tell you something. The word baptize is not necessarily a church or a Bible word. That's an old word. Baptize is just another way of saying you dip something, you dunk something, you submerge it, you immerse it. And this baptism, which is not water baptism, is our placement and our identification with the position and the person of Jesus Christ. Paul goes so far to say in our salvation that what happened to Jesus actually happened to us. Y'all ain't hearing me, but just stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. He says what happened to Jesus spiritually happened to us. We have been baptized. We have been placed, immersed in the person of Christ. And what does he tell us? We've been baptized into Jesus' death. He says we have been placed in his death like he died we died. You say, I'm still living. Yeah, but a part of you died. You are very much alive physically, but spiritually there was a part of you. In order for you to live, a part of you had to die. In order for you to get something new, something old had to pass away. He said this in verse number six, knowing this. See, it's all about what you know. Baby, it's all about what you know. Knowing this, that our old man, I ain't talking about your ex-husband. I'm talking about you. I ain't talking about your daddy. I'm talking about you. You, the old sinful you that was, that was apart from Christ before you became a Christian. The old you, he says, is crucified. You can't reform the old man. You can't rehab the old man. You can't train the old man. He says he's been crucified. By the way, you can't crucify yourself. The only way for you to be crucified is if somebody crucifies you. And the Bible teaches us right here, Paul is letting us know that God in our salvation crucified the old us. And we were crucified positionally with him, Jesus Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve or be a slave to sin. Let me say this quickly. The old you was very alive and very alive to sin. But Paul tells us at the moment of our salvation, something revolutionary happened. The moment you became a born-again believer, the old self, the old you died. God drove it with nails through a cross and in the place of Jesus, when he died, you died too. You became, listen, you became dead to living a life of habitual, unrepentant, unsorry sin. 
that part of you that was alive to sin, that loved sin, that wanted to sin, that rejected God and opposed God, that took the truth and pushed it away, that part of you died. That's what he says. He says there was a part of you that was crucified and you can't reform it. You can't religion it. You can't rehab it. You got to kill it. At salvation, the old man dies. Now, some of you right now are like, dude, I don't feel very dead. That's because you're still living in this flesh box. It still comes pre-wired with all the nature and desires of the old man. But spiritually, you're dead. Spiritual can be real even if you don't feel it. Did you hear me? Spiritual can be real even if you don't feel it. A lot of times we become so sensual in our experiences with God, we think we have to feel something for it to be spiritual. Things happened inside of you at your salvation that you may not have felt, but they were very real because they happened in the spirit realm. God, I'm preaching right now. Are you listening to me? There are things that happened to you that were permanent, that were done, that were complete, that were finished, that were perfect, that was eternal. And when God did it, he did it forever, whether or not you ever felt it. Now, let me stop and say I am thankful that I get to feel some of it. I'm thankful that at the very back of this train, there's a little caboose called feelings. And every now and then, I get to get on board with what God is doing, and I get to rejoice, and it makes me happy. And I get to walk in joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And I want to smile, and I want to shout, and I want to get on my feet, and I want to clap, and I want to raise my hand, and I want to stand up and take off running and not come back sometimes. I get this feeling inside of me that this old box can't contain because I get to I get to thinking about how good he's been. And I want to let it out. But I don't let my feelings be the steam engine that drives the train. I keep them back there at the caboose where they don't have any way of leading the way. Just because you didn't feel it doesn't mean it wasn't real. As God said in the authority of his word that what happened spiritually was what was most real. Some of y'all are like a, you're like a zombie. You're dead, you just don't know it yet. That old you died. You just don't know he's dead. Paul said we've died. We are dead now to the old us who was attracted to sin. And then he goes on to tell us in verse number four, therefore, we are buried with him. We haven't just died, we've been buried. Verse five, he says, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. So we haven't just died, now being dead to the old us. We've been buried, which means you are done with the old sinful us. We are done with the old sinful us. I wrote this down, burial is not only for that which is dead, burial is for that which is done. Because when you are done with something or someone, you bury it with no intention of it ever coming back. 
Remember, this is explaining the believer's relationship or lack thereof with living in sin. I wrote this down. A dead person cannot bury themselves, and neither could you. And the same God that crucified and killed the old you is the same God that buried you, signifying that the old sinful you is now done, buried, closed off to a life of sin. The old you died. It should have. It better have. I hope it did. The old you has died and has been buried. Ah, God told me to tell you this this morning. If God has killed the old you and buried the old you, it ain't time to dig him or her up. We don't need to allow the devil to conjure, summon, or resurrect that old person because that person and the life that person lived is not just dead, but it's now done. All of its direction, all of its design, all of its desires, and all of its deeds have been buried, forgotten forever, and we are done. Are you done with the old you? Are you done with the decision-making and the choices that the old you would make? God says you have. He says it's been buried. He says you have died, and you're dead to the old you. He says it's buried, and you're done with the old you. But he tells us something revolutionary in verse number four, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, Amen right there. Somebody's going to help me today. That like as Christ. Look at that. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even we also should walk in newness of life. Verse number 11 again. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive, A-L-I-V, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, you're not just dead to the old sinful you, and you're not just done with the old sinful you. He tells us that we've been raised. Therefore, you are delivered from the old sinful you. See, it wasn't enough for you to be dead and done. Paul says that God wanted you to experience the power of his resurrection and now you're living in a deliverance from the sinful old version of yourself. I wrote this down. Our deliverance from a life of sin is likened to Jesus' resurrection in verse number four. I liked it so much I'm going to read it again. Verse number four he said that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. Did you see that? He's saying in the same way, uh, you know what? We, we, we classify the resurrection of Jesus with that one day a year where everybody decides to show up to church. We do a disjustice to the doctrine, the theology, and the event that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is so much more than, hey, God got up. Hey, let's get up and see the sunrise so we can celebrate the sun that rose. It is so much more than that. He says there is a likeness. He is submitting to you and I. There is a pattern. Watch this symbolism here. He says, Jesus died, and spiritually you died. At salvation, you died. Jesus was buried. At salvation, you were buried. See, this is why we identify with water baptism, because water points to what happened spiritually. Died. 
buried, rose again. Jesus died, so did you. He was buried, so were you. He rose again, so did you. What do you think Paul's always talking about and the New Testament's always pointing to when it says there's a transformation or a change that happened? You didn't turn over a new leaf. The whole tree's rotten, baby. You didn't become a new man. You didn't become a new woman. You didn't become a new person. We'll mess you up right here. You didn't become a new human. You became a whole new creature. If we could go out there to that pig lot right now, and I could somehow summon up the supernatural power to lay hands on the biggest hog and transform it from a pig to a human being. Number one, it'd be the most god-awful sight you've ever seen. Butt naked in the mud, rooting around, looking for something to eat. But if I was to change that pig into a brand new creature, if I could transform it from what it is right now to something brand new, the very first thing that pig turned person would do is get up out of that mud, take a bath, spit out all that slop it was eating, stop being best friends with the swine of the field, get itself out of that pen, take a bath, put on some clothes, and get as far as it could away from that mess. Do you know why? Because that is no longer what it is. That's what it was. That's what it did. That's what it knew. But the moment it has changed, it is something completely different. And its desires are different. It's new. Paul says this is what happened to us. We died. We were buried. And then we were raised the same way that look, just like Jesus was raised. Well, if he says just like Jesus was raised, then we need to look at how just like Jesus was raised. Yes, amen, sister. You are, you are tracking well with the ref. Just like Jesus came alive. He says you and I came alive. My God, I feel like I'm in a Pentecostal church right now. He says, we have come alive. We have been raised to walk in the newness of life. I want you to think about this. When Jesus died and was buried, his body lay sealed by a stone. And one of the very first things that happened in his resurrection is they moved that stone out of the way and they rolled it out of the way. Can I submit to you one of the first things God did in birthing and bringing new life into you was he moved every stone, every rock, every obstacle, every bit of opposition that was guarding you and blocking you, everything that was trying to keep you out of church and keep you from salvation and keep your eyes from being opened up and your heart. Do you realize how many things God moved out of the way so you can hear the word of truth? Do you realize how God made a path and made a trail for you to experience new life in Christ? Everything that was blocking you in and blinding you to the truth, God moved it out of the way. The moment he moved 
that rock out of the way and his body came to life. The Bible says that he came out of that tomb. Jesus wasn't going to rise from the dead and then occupy the space of the tomb. He came out and he left the grave clothes in there. Can I submit to you when God spoke new life into you, just like the first time when he breathed the breath of life into Adam, he breathed a Pentecostal power right into the depths of your soul and you became a new living creature. You, your face might have looked the same. Your hair might have been the same color. You might have weighed the same amount. You might have had on the same clothes. But honey, there was something spiritual that happened in the depths and recesses of who you were. And God didn't just forgive your sin. He didn't just write your name down in heaven. But there was a transformation that came into your life because God, all of hell moved out and heaven moved in. Jesus stepped into your world. You might call it asking Jesus in your heart. Honey, you got more than Jesus in your heart. You got Jesus in your head. You got Jesus in your hands. You got him on the top. You got him in the bottom. You got him on the in and the out. We've been raised. Now, a lot of times, a lot of times what we'll do is we will liken the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11 to the resurrection spiritually we experience at salvation. And that's, that makes good preaching. I've done it. And we'll do it. But there is a reason Paul does not reference Lazarus as our pattern of new life. Lazarus died. He was buried one, two, three, four days in a grave in Bethany. When Jesus got to the tomb, he rolled the stone out of the way. He called Lazarus by name. Lazarus came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. They took the grave clothes off of him. A dude who was dead has now been brought back alive. The reason we can't use Lazarus as an example of what happened in our salvation is because the same Lazarus that was brought back from the dead also died again. When he was raised, he did not get a transformation in his body Jesus just healed his quickly decomposing body, brought him back to life, and he came out of the grave. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he did not have the same body. When he rose from the grave, his body changed into a celestial form, a heavenly form, an eternal form. And when Je unlike Lazarus, when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that he would never die again. What is that saying to us in our pattern? It means the same way Jesus overcame death and now is free from it. You and I have been brought to new life, never to return to the grave of our sinful nature ever again. We do not have to, he is telling us that we have literally been delivered from the bondage and the pull of our sin. The devil can't make you do anything. And you are never at a point in this life where Satan or temptation is greater than the power of your own will to choose Christ. You know what that means? You do not have to live in a constant state of sin. You're not hearing me. That means that you do not have to be addicted to any substance. 
You do not have to be a bitter, mean, genical, uh, genical. That's probably a new word that's going to come out. You do not have to be a mean, jaded, cynical individual. And you don't have to be genical about it either. You don't have to live in a state of bitterness, consumed by anger and rage. No, 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 no. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're above it. I'm just saying spiritually you're beyond it. You will always have the propensity to step back into that grave, but I'm just going to tell you something. Like a resurrection, like a, I'm struggling with a fat tongue today, bless God. Like a resurrected man. Don't have any place in a morgue. You'll never be okay living like the old you. Let me tell you how messed up the old you is. You are carrying a dead man around your back that loves grotesque, gruesome sin so much. And you will carry that man or that woman on your back until the day you're raptured or resurrected. You will have it the rest of your life. And you will always have this tendency to go back to the grave. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible teaches, based on Romans chapter 6, that a born-again believer cannot continue to live that way. Shall we continue? He says, God forbid. He can't even get his mind around it. Like a resurrected man living, eating, sleeping in a morgue where there's death all around him, and that's what he was. Now, now, what about for all the people that got saved when they were 10, or saved when they were 15, or saved when they were 20, and has picked up some habits? Or has, has committed some sin that is, in your mind, more grave or greater than what you did before? Part of you is probably thinking, well, if I was saved, I wouldn't have done that. Well, if I was the devil, I would tell you that. I was the devil, I would say, no, if you're really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. Well, Satan, I have this flesh that has the propensity and the tendency to do that. But the reason I know I'm saved is because at the same time my flesh loves it, my spirit hates it. Like, I really, in in who I am in Christ, I really don't want to do that. I kind of live in that Romans 7 tug-of-war struggle is real type thing where it's always pulling and it's always nagging and it's always there but see the difference between this guy and the old guy is the old guy would have continued in it and lived in it without thinking anything of it but this delivered version of me doesn't have to wear those chains This delivered version of me doesn't have to lay down in that grave. This delivered version of me doesn't have to settle for a morgue and call it Christianity. That's not who I am. That's not what I am. I used to be a pig, and the mud was where I laid my head. But now, resurrection has happened, and salvation has happened, and justification has happened. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I'm about to do some preaching up in here. Now, something has changed. And I can't can't continue in sin. I'm not saying, Paul wasn't saying, we're not saying that a Christian won't commit sin. We're not saying that a Christian can't stumble in sin. We're not even saying that a Christian can't get ensnared in a temptation turned trap. 
what I'm telling you biblically, you will be miserable in it. He cannot, come on, come on, JJ, let's close. He can't get it in his mind how a Christian, someone could become a biblical Christian, give their life to Jesus, and then keep doing exactly what they were doing. Or, or get saved, changed, allow yourself to get real comfortable. Let me talk where everybody's at for a second. Let me, let me talk where everybody's at. Get saved. The new car smell wears off. You get used to it. Stuff you used to say no to, you start saying yes to. Stuff that you would have hated before, you start tolerating it. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to act like, 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 like I'm not preaching at you right now. And we make this compromise with the grave of our sinful nature. And we figure out how to go into our little grave, keep the stone kind of rolled away, a little accent. It's like a barn door. We chip and Joanna the inside of that grave. Make it look real good, make it feel real good. Here's the problem. You are no longer dead. You have been brought to life. You're a brand new creature. So here, here's a thought. Maybe your life is upside down and maybe you're turned inside out because you're a resurrected man trying to make a graveyard his home. And you're going to wrestle and struggle and wonder and be out of sorts the rest of your life because that's not you anymore. The, 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 the sinful version of you, the old you, he'd be right at home. Grave clothes, worms, decompos decomposition, decay, stink, stench, all that junk. Tombstones, that's at home. But Paul says, how could you continue? And he uses the grave to symbolize our new relationship with sin. How could you do? Can I, can I say something? I have done some stuff since becoming a Christian. That I thought when I became a Christian, if I could have had a time machine and went ahead in time and saw some of the stuff and the episodes and the events and the experiences and the decisions I would make, I would have said, I would have said, there is, it's not possible that I would do that. And I would have been biblically inaccurate because as long as I'm trapped in this sinful flesh, it is possible. But what I could assure you of is now as a born again believer, that stuff might happen. And I might, for whatever reason, in a low point of failure, sin against God, or sin against myself, or sin against my wife, or sin against my brother. But I can go ahead and guarantee you right now, based on what has happened in my salvation, salvation it is not possible that I will continue to live that way without coming to repentance and going back to God. There is no way I'm going to be okay doing that. How do I know if my Christianity is real? How do I know if my salvation is real? Can you continue in sin? I'm not talking about occasional sin. He don't, he don't tackle occasional sin till verse 15. Verse 15 is where he's talking about occasional sin. But he addresses the more, the more pressing matter, which is habitual sin, which is people saying they get saved and then nothing about them changes. 
I said this a few weeks ago, it helped somebody, I'll say it again. One of the biggest evidences or proofs that my salvation is real is there is a current struggle with good and evil. Darkness and light, flesh and spirit. I hope that helps you. That's your pastor talking. That's your pastor talking. That's real for me. So here's the deal. This pie in the sky theology, know these things. Know you're dead, know you're buried, know you're, re you're resurrected. How does that help me? Like that's great to know them, but how do I put that into practice tonight, tomorrow? Look at, look at, verse, look at verse 12. Real quick, we're going to walk through these. I'm done. Let not sin. This is what he says after telling you that you've died, you're buried, and you rose again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Mortal means it's going to die. So what's he talking about? He's talking about your box. Paul's always talking about the physical body. Because people would get saved and they'd go, my soul is good, my spirit's good, my body's one day going to get changed. It doesn't matter what I do with this body. It doesn't matter what I ingest, what I inhale, who I sleep with, what I watch, what I look at, what I say, what I listen to. It doesn't matter. And that's not true. That's not true because he says, don't let sin reign or rule in your mortal body. Your body is now the place where God dwells. So don't let God's house become a dumpster fire. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it like a slave to a master that you wouldn't obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, every time you have an impulse to satisfy or gratify this flesh, he says you don't have to be that way. It's almost like saying to the Jewish people, Pharaoh ain't got nothing on you anymore. Sin is always depicted or portrayed as some tyrannical ruler. And this would have really struck a chord. Think about this, Pastor Jeff. This would have really struck a chord knowing that Nero was in power. A tyrannical psychopath dictator. That's what sin is. And he's saying, that doesn't rule over you. Israel, you're not in Egypt. Roman citizen, you're free from Nero. He's saying, you're free from sin. You're free from it. We say these things like, you need to get free. You are free. What are you talking about? If I could just get delivered. You've been delivered. You've been delivered. Do you understand that? The grave ain't got nothing on you. Your sinful nature ain't got nothing on you. The devil don't have anything on you. Lucifer and Satan have lost his power. You're free. If I could just break these chains. What chains? What cuffs, what stocks? You are free. You don't have to do that. You don't have to think that. You don't have to say that. You don't have to look at that. You don't have to. You're free. It's gone. It's gone. So that means anytime you lay down with sin, it's 100% voluntary. Anytime you go back to the grave and try to fit them grave clothes on, it's 100% voluntary. Every time you're a living person acting like a dead individual, it's voluntary. Don't let sin rule or reign like a tyrant over your body. Because if you do, you'll obey it like nothing but a slave. Here's what he says, neither, he goes on to say, neither yield ye your members. Now I know this is confusing King James English, so let me break it down for you. Members is talking about body parts. Don't allow or give up. Look at this. Look at this. Young man, read this. 
Listen to me. Don't give over or yield your body part as a tool of unrighteousness unto sin. This hand used to be used to sin. These eyes used to be used to sin. This body, these feet, these lips, everything used to be used as a tool to produce sin. Now he says, because you're new and delivered, now yield yourselves to God as those that are alive. My God, from the dead. And do it to the glory of God. Of God, look, and your members as instruments of right. In other words, instead of using your body to sin, use your body to serve. That's what he's saying. A dead man's body, a dead woman's body, is nothing but a playground for the immoral. But the moment you become a new creature in Christ Jesus and you're raised, he says, look, you've been brought out of that. Now use your body parts to bring God glory. Use these eyes, these ears, use this mouth, use this hand, use your feet, use your body now as an instrument or a tool to bring God glory. What business you got living in a morgue? What business you have living in a graveyard? That ain't you. When you understand that you've died, you've been buried and you've risen again, it changes the way you see your salvation and yourself and it also changes your relationship with sin. You'll develop a hatred for it. You'll despise it. You'll want to be away from it. And that's why he says this in the last verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Oh my God, this changes the way you see grace right here. Because you're under grace, that's more freedom than you ever thought. See, we think, we, we think grace is a freedom to sin and get away with it. On the contrary, he says, grace is a freedom to live above and beyond your sin so that you can stay away from it. He's not talking about occasional stumble, trip or fall. There's grace for that. But for that person in this room who has been living their life continually in a habitual manner that is opposite of who God is in your life, Paul says, that's not becoming. That's not appropriate. That's not fitting. That's not who you are. You can do it. But you're going to be miserable. You can do it and you're going to feel out of place. You can do it and you're not going to be comfortable. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin keep living in it when God has resurrected us from that? I want to continually make my decision and I want to do it today and I want you to do it with me. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want to live continually in it. I want to walk in this freedom that God's given me. Whether that be addiction, whether that be pornography, whether that be lust, jealousy, envy, bitterness, rage, anger, pride, whatever that is. Listen to me. If you're a Christian, you've been delivered from it. And you need to get out of your seat and get this altar with me right here and say, I don't want to live that way anymore. It's as simple as you acknowledging what you have and making the decision that you're not going to live on the bottom, that you're going to start living on the top. That you're not the tail, you're the head. You're not behind, you're in front. And you have God to help you walk through these things under His graces and His power. Let's give Him praise all in the house. Come on, give Him glory. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.